0: Welcome to Driving the C-Bus. I'm your host, Scott McComb. I'm chairman and CEO of a little community bank in Columbus, Ohio, called Heartland Bank my travels really expose me to some very interesting people. Entrepreneurs that are world-class uh, people in their own right, but run businesses that are up and coming in the 13th largest city in the country, which is Columbus. Each one of them is is also uh, unique in their own way. Their upbringing is different. Their family life might be different. But ultimately, the one thing that holds us all together as entrepreneurs is hard work and dedication and our love of our people. So that's what we try to do here here on the podcast is figure out what makes these entrepreneurs tick, what makes these areas of Columbus what they are, and how Columbus really became the place that it is today. today on the show, we have a, a very special person that's uh, really uh, made a big impact on the city of Columbus and the surrounding area, uh, and that's Mr. Brent Crawford. He's principal and founder of uh, of a Crawford Hoyne Companies. Um, he guided the vision of the company. He's been guiding it since 1994, uh, in which he's grown his single investment property and in one of the largest real estate firms in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, personally oversees many of the aspects of the business, including raising private equity, for specific investments, uh, you know, into income-producing property, securing debt financing, managing the relationships with equity investors, monitoring new acquisitions, ground-up development, and all the other things that come with running a company of your own. Uh, Brent has spoken at many events as a guest speaker covering topics such as current real estate trends, multifamily markets, and development growth uh, here in Central Ohio. In addition, he taught property management and real estate trends at the at the Fisher College of Business at the... Ohio State University and um, and regularly returns as a guest speaker. He serves on the boards of Sophisticated Systems, the Ohio State Sports Medicine Center, as well as the Center for Real Estate at the Ohio State University. He's also a current member of the Columbus Partnership, uh, a 1995 graduate of OSU, uh, holding a bachelor's degree in communications. He resides in Dublin, Ohio with his wife Liz and their two children. Welcome to the program, Mr. Brent Crawford. Thanks. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Brent, you uh, you know, that's a mouthful, all the different, the the, the bio I was just reading and uh, all the different things you've uh, accomplished uh, here in Central Ohio. And, and obviously, it's a household name uh, here now, uh, you and your company and your partners. Tell me, um, how did you, you know, in 1995, you majored in communications. How did you get into development?
1: Yeah, so uh, it is a, a different story, Um not like a lot of the other development companies in Columbus who are second generation, third generation, fourth generation. So we are truly a first generation company and started as they probably did, which is really with a single property, uh, which I purchased in, in college. And it really started because my landlord at the time had bought a few homes on the same street. And I said, wow, this is really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this. And he asked if I would do some drywall work and some landscaping work for him and I found it interesting, and I did, and and uh, was watching him that first year. And I thought I can do this, and so I went back to my parents. This was, would have been my, I guess, my second sophomore year, as I say, and said to my parents, uh, "I'm interested in buying a home. I could have my friends move in with me. I can live for free, and I think I can make some money. It's I really want to do this." But my parents didn't have any any money, and so I went to my girlfriend's grandmother, who's now my wife, and I borrowed fifteen hundred dollars to buy the very first property. Um moved my buddies in. And at that time, I was making $500 a month, which I thought was a fortune uh, to live off of. But very quickly, oh, Well, it was back then. Yeah, right? it, was. It, was, it, <laughs> it was. And 20, honestly, it was all the money I needed to do what I needed to do. But at the same time, I wasn't spending it. I immediately caught the bug and said, this is what I want to do. So I saved the money up to buy another property as quickly as I could do. And actually got my wife, girlfriend at the time, she bought the house across the street from me and did the exact same thing. And so we were pulling our money together. At that and point, two led to three and so forth. But like anything, there's always when people say they're self made, but I don't really believe in that statement. Um, there's always somebody along the way that helps you out. I mean, you can it takes initiative and drive to do it. But the reality is, there's people in your life that have an impact. And I went back to my high school, my, uh, again, after my sophomore year, and where'd my, you go to high school, Batavia High School down near Cincinnati, Batavia, a small, yeah. small school, I think I had about 45 kids in my graduating class, to, essentially a small farm community. And went back to uh, see my history teacher, Gary Shroff, who was one of the most influential people in my life, and one of those kinds of guys. When I was a freshman, you, you didn't like him because he was so hard on you. By the time you were a senior, you thought that's the most important person I've ever I've ever met. And so I went back to see him, told him what I was doing, and uh, he said, "Wow, that's that's fantastic." I actually own some some real estate as well, and I was, to be honest, shocked at the time because. He was famous for dr- driving sort of junky cars, and I knew he lived in a very, very tiny house. But as it turns out, he was you know, relatively wealthy and had been saving his money. <laughs> and he said, well, I'd be interested in doing a deal with you if, if you want to do it. And I'd never contemplated really other people's money in the sense from an investment perspective. I'd borrowed that initial $1,500, which I paid back. Um, but so I said, great. And I came up with the idea, which is a common model, really. I said, uh, well, how about if you put all the money in and I do all the work? And we split the profits 50-50. And that was the start of it. He, I found a house for $58,000, 2228 Indianola Avenue on campus. And uh, we purchased that. But a quick side note of, of something that was amazing out of that from a trust perspective is this was sort of pre-computer. And the title company called and said, hey, there's been some a mess up on the paperwork. We forgot to include Gary Shroff in that paperwork. And there's going to be a little bit of a delay. So I called Gary and told him, he said, no, don't worry about it. Just put it in your name. It's it's no problem. And then he mailed me a fifty eight thousand dollar check and to me personally. Wow. And I put the house in my name. And this was just my history teacher. And that start was the start of a great relationship. Uh, we sold that house and did very well on it, and he ended up doing some future investing. How's Gary uh, Gary still so, around? Gary's still around. Yep, <clears throat> I see him uh, not as much as I'd like to, but once or twice a year he comes up to Ohio State games, and we catch up then. So gotcha. he's yet he a huge, huge impact you guys on. Guys
0: still do some business together, do you? We do. Yeah, Good. we do.
1: Our our business is certainly transitioned, like any business does, and and it started with. Really, just meeting people, and and Gary was certainly one of them. And I had, at the same time, because I needed uh, insurance, I was working at Nationwide uh, at the time while well, going to school full time. And I essentially had a full time job at Nationwide, and then at, at this point, probably I had seven or eight properties on campus that I was taking care of. And met a lady sitting next to me who didn't need to be working, but was working because she wanted to. And it turns out, you know, she kept asking what I was doing, and she said, "If I gave you a couple hundred thousand dollars, what what could you do with it?" And that led to that relationship. And then over, over time in doing deals, you meet owners, investors, people in the brokerage business, and I met a couple individuals who go to the next level. You know, When I first got the $100,000 investment, I thought it was $50 million, and then the first 500000 and then I had a guy um, say, hey, can I give you a couple million dollars and what could you do with it? And I remember he handed me a check in the McDonald's parking lot it, to me personally for $2 million. And I thought these people are crazy. <laughs> you know, this was this was this was the early days, really, and from a trust perspective, and and something I certainly would advise other people to do. But I had developed relationships with various people, and in that guy in particular has, you know invested many right. millions in, uh, with us since then. So it's um, so it started with really just one, and that and that experience at Ohio State. And I think when you start in the business like I did, you you see. You buy existing buildings, but you're always kind of dreaming of what's possible. And you see buildings being built, but not really know how does that process happen. And and so it really, it took me 15 years to get to that point where we were ready to really get in the development business. And a lot of it has to do with development. It's the most risky portion of real estate. Oh, exactly. You got to have, understand all disciplines of the real estate business. Because really, if you miss on one of them and you don't know it, that's where people get hurt. And so uh, we really took our time to make sure we understood it.
0: Now you didn't start off building places like bridge park right i mean so we started off on indianola avenue we started off with where was the first house that you got with your buddies or first, you had your buddies moving? yeah
1: first one was 2182 indiana avenue indiana yeah yep, and then my wife bought 2187 indiana avenue and then we bought 2230 indiana avenue and so i just buying all around north campus at ohio yeah. state gotcha i used to live on indiana avenue, oh really believe it
0: or not yeah back in the day i forget the uh I forget the address, but it was a block off in of Indianola. Yep. Uh Indiana Avenue. Yeah, exactly. yeah. North
1: Campus. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great, great That's place. That's where I
0: met my wife actually. Huh? My wife Amy, uh, when I was living in that house. Yeah. And so. we stayed
1: there after we got married as well for a year, year or two until we Yeah, it's a neat there. neat community there. It of course, is.
0: bleeds into Clintonville and such. It does, yeah. Now you talked about uh you know leverage obviously and development. Uh you know, you have to have that element of trust that you've just uh, emulated there and and uh it can really get you sideways if yes. you don't have that, and gotta, y'all remember also. Developers have a reputation mm-hmm. uh, that lives with you forever, yes, right? Yep. So uh, your relationship with your history teacher is probably something that you, you maybe that or is that is that where you learned? Uh, tell me tell me a little bit about how you learned your 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 level of trust and the speed of trust and how you use that in your business.
1: Sure, I think for us in our company success, we pretty much bring it down to relationships. We have with each other in our company, and then with our partners, our investors, our lenders; those are all crucial parts, and we take tremendous pride in that. And and from a trust perspective, both us trusting the guy next to me in the office that he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, that he's doing it the right way, an ethical way, and I think our investors feel the same about it. They know, you know, it's always about what do you do when no one's looking. And I always sort of take it back, and where our relationships really grew, both internally and externally, was through the downturn. So it's it's you know it's easy to be successful when things are hot. It's what do you do when things go real south? And how do you act? And how do you act? And how do you respond? And and for us, when 2008 through 2012 happened, the reality is we barely made it. Um, it was an extremely challenging time. But I tell everybody, and I still say to this day, the best thing that ever happened to us. I'm glad it happened. I don't want to ever do it again. But the lessons we learned both in how to run a business uh operationally because we were so focused on top line revenue at the time because everything was so hunky dory that what kind of happened in the middle wasn't as important uh, but really virtually overnight I mean overnight within a matter of twenty four forty eight hours it was gone. You know when Bear Stearns collapsed, all transactions essentially stopped for us, and so we were left with our op- operating companies and then we had to really dig in and understand you know, what we were doing in order to stay afloat. And and as part of that, we just became really close with a lot of people in our company, a lot of the key principles. Everybody had to dig in and put their arms around each other and say, let's do it. We can do this. And we had to take it one day at a time. And And the same thing with our investors and partners. The people that stood by us during that time frame – uh, we made certain to take care of them during that time frame, so it was important to Bob and I to, to, even though we sacrificed a lot, both personally and financially, in order to make sure nobody else suffered. It was the best decision we ever made because as soon as the market started to turn, and and we were in, on solid footing, those investors and partners came back tenfold. Uh, so if somebody had a couple million dollars with us, it's not unusual for some of those people to have twenty or thirty million dollars with us now, and so that. Those relationships that you derive from difficult times are the most important. And the same thing with our lending partners. We had a lot of lending partners at the time who stood by us and were, we'll never forget those individuals. And, and the reality is there were lending partners that didn't, not just us, right, but lots of developers, lots of real estate people. There was, I won't name names, but some that weren't so kind <coughs> to their partners. And, and I wouldn't borrow – from them if there was no money left on earth you know it's just but because it's a relationship business for us and it is and so yeah relationships are just there's really nothing more important to us than the relationships of the people we work with and that's the fun of it is we don't always we Don't talk about money a lot in our company. Really, what we're talking about is doing great things with great people and you get great results, not focused on money from day one. If you just do those first few things, you're going to be successful. And I think where people get caught up in just staring immediately day one, first thing, looking at this bottom line, forgetting about, well, what if you're not doing great things? At the That's end of the right. day, you may not uh, – we've yet to do a deal in my mind that we've we've done something great for the community and done it with great partners. So, I mean, you've got honest, ethical people involved across the board. It, it's worked every time. Now and back so, in
0: the So the financial disaster, just to put the caps on that, yeah. you guys had to work with your lenders. I mean, you didn't just bail on everybody, no. right? You worked it out. That was you said, key. hey, here's the available
1: cash flow. Yep. This is what we can do. Let's work a deal. It's communication, I think, is one of the things that we learned during that time frame. A lot of the people I know, and I had a lot of friends, and I mean a lot of friends that went under, very successful people that went bankrupt, starting all over, um, Close friends of mine, family members of mine who were in the business uh, had had gone down. I think one of the reasons that we didn't uh, one is we had strong relationships from the from the beginning, and if you have strong relationships and people have faith in you, sometimes they're willing to extend a little further to help right, a little more. Yeah. And, and communication was the key. So I was very actively calling uh, almost on a weekly basis to update. Here's the status. Here's what's going on. Um, this particular loan's due next month. Uh, we paid current on everything. That was the critical thing. While it was very painful to do, we wanted to make sure we always paid current. There might have been, as we call, and, and Scott knows well, maturity defaults where the loans were had come due. But of course, there was nowhere to go get a new loan. Right. You know, so we had to work with our lenders to say, hey, can you just hold steady here for six months? Let me work through this scenario. And we did. And we worked through it systematically one at a time until uh, until they were all taken care of. And I, But we use that knowledge that we gained through that time to also have vision for what might be coming and to be prepared and to better understand the risks that are involved and we want to make sure and we did to some extent but we want to make sure the next turn downturn comes we want to take advantage of the downturn and be ready for it because the reality is about the most money that's ever been made in the history of the united states was made between 2008 and 2012 yes a lot was lost no, but a fortunes were made nearly
0: as much that was made that's correct absolutely yeah we uh we we you know we we worked with people like yourself we work with you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, During that absolutely. time frame. And uh and there was there's a marked difference between the people that decided to to communicate and, and make hay with what you have versus throwing the keys at you. I had yeah, some right. guys uh, you know, like yourself that they would want to communicate we constantly constantly getting updates we're going to work on this together Mm -hmm. Uh, we're all in this together and then I had others that just said well give me this or I'm going to throw the keys at you and I just said okay well I'm going to catch the keys and and that's where we were able to just turn those portfolios turn around you know it's it's just a matter of time for that heals itself but that was a devastating thing here for not only Columbus but for the nation uh, and the world um, you know built on the fact that real estate will always uh, everyone has a right to own a home which is yeah. not true. Nope. And uh and that real estate will always increase in value, you know. Right. So um uh, tell me about you guys have a unique makeup of the ownership of your company and your partners and you've added some people, you know, in the last several years as well. Tell me uh how you uh the, first of all what what that relationship is and and who are the players and then how has that changed as the company has metamorphosized sure. over time.
1: So Bob Hoying is is my 50-50 partner, essentially, in Crawford Hoying. And we met uh, in 98 uh, randomly on a golf course is how we were put together. He was in his first year in the NFL, and I was doing my real estate thing, and we randomly got paired together one day. Uh, I went out to play by myself, and so did he. And the, I remember the guy in the clubhouse said, hey, um, there's no availability. There's somebody out there, and I don't like to play with strangers. I never have. But I really wanted to play. I remember it was 75 and sunny. It was a gorgeous day. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go out and play. And he happened to be standing on the tee box. And I graduated the same year he did. I was a massive Ohio State football fan, a huge Bob Hoying fan. And so uh, so we hit it off right away. And by the end of the round, he, he was asking what I did. I, I never asked what he did, even though I knew, right? And he knew that I knew. But it's just something they don't – they talk football all the time. So I made sure I never even brought it up. And he would ask him what I was doing and said he had interest in, in the business. And I think that night he asked if we wanted to have dinner. And relationship had started that way. And and he was very smart in that you know, he knows not everybody plays forever, and you're eventually going to have to do something else. And so he wanted to get into the real estate business. So he would come back every summer, essentially, and learn the real estate business while still being in the NFL. So he got his license during the offseason and just really coming in and learning day-to-day about – what what is real estate? just the basics to start and and pro formas and and understanding you know buying and selling and all those things that that are involved and so he was my first big partner, you know I had employees at the time, certainly um but I saw a good opportunity certainly from a name recognition on his on his part uh for the business not that i it was super important to me, but i we got along well and I thought he would be a good asset to the company
0: well, not to mention uh, his upbringing and you know. His father, Vern, yes. uh, runs a, is their own construction company, yep. and, and so they know, you know, that whole side of the business, yes. which is an acumen. I mean, you know how to turn properties around, but you, I don't know that you knew a whole bunch about not. pouring concrete and turning screws, Didn't right? Didn't know anything about it
1: at, yeah. at so the time. Yeah, so that would, would a great addition, minutes. you know, to the whole overall company. For sure. And, and part of it, too, was – Is his makeup in that he was small town kid as well, Northwest Ohio, same principles and values that I sort of held relative to how you treat people. And I saw that pretty quickly. And so that was an important part uh, to it. And after he came on, I really, I think, again, like any business transition happens. And I think one of the biggest things we've learned in the past really six or seven years is is the quality of individual that you hire, not both just not in necessarily just skill set, but the quality of the human being, and really that's what we're looking for, especially from a culture perspective. Is we're, we're very particular about who we hire, so we often take a long time to hire uh, to hire people because we they have to fit within our group and our company and how we interact with each other and the trust and um, you know part of it's we're a lighthearted group we want to have fun doing what we're doing. And but we also want to work with people that when we when those people go out into public, that they're a great representation of our company and people really we want to know be known as great people. That's really first and foremost, because I think if you have that relationship, people want to do business with you. And that's really what it's led to. And so, in the, like I said, the last six or seven years, we've hired you know dozens of, of people in the corporate office, but a key 10 or 12 people and also realizing that you it's worth paying for great talent. It took me a long time to realize that you you, know, you got a candidate that's 100000 or a candidate that's 200000 and you think, well, it's an extra $100,000. But we've pretty much found they're pay... not all made the same. No, right? and they pay for themselves the, virtually the moment they walk in the door. And so uh, we've really just uh, put together what we think is best-in-class team uh, that really understands the full gamut of development. We have somebody really who's an expert in virtually every part of the business and sometimes multiple people. And a lot of the people are also – they're experts really in three or four different areas. You know Nelson Yoder who's one of our uh, – is our development partner in that part of the business with uh, equally with Bob and I. You know, We always say he's sort of a development genius. He He's really just absolutely incredible at what he does. And we've got a lot of those those types of people. And uh, certainly surrounding yourself with people smarter than yourself is is the smartest thing you can do. And that's really what we've tried to do is, um, you know, really the key executive team are just a lot of very smart, uh, um, fantastic people.
0: So the, the company has metamorphosized over the last, I guess it's been, what, 25 years? Yeah, 25
1: uh, year uh, anniversary just uh, two weeks ago. Oh, uh, Congratulations. That's yeah. awesome.
0: Uh, so I mean you started off doing the uh, smaller projects mm-hmm. uh, individual homes really right yes, at first yep. we' start you know, the $1500 loan right yeah. or, or from uh, uh, from your girlfriend's grandmother yes and, and, and now you've turned it into this uh, very very large uh, uh, company that has uh, projects frankly all over the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do stuff outside the state now?
1: Or? We do general contracting so when you made mention of Vern Hoing Bob's father, we purchased that construction company about 15 years ago. And one of the best moves we did in that construction business is uh, in Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky. For the most part, uh, we're building in, but yeah, from a development the, business, bracket builders, bracket right? builders, yeah. correct. But development-wise, we're, for the most part, Central Ohio is is the majority of our development. Uh, we have a very large project going in downtown Dayton, which we absolutely love. Or just uh, – it's been an incredible thing for us. And the success, I think, of what we've been doing, of course, like any business, has led to other opportunities. And so we have some really big announcements coming that we haven't announced yet we're very excited about in this market. And then we're, we're being contacted. I would say it's pretty much every day, but a lot of times by municipalities. So they, they've seen what we've done for Dublin or Upper Arlington, and they're calling and saying, hey, would you come to our market? to do something similar.
0: Right. Well, you know, everybody in, the, in Ohio anyway, in these Ohio markets, they're revitalizing distraught areas like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Dayton is kind of a rebuild, yes. right? And, and, uh, and, you know, I know the people out there really appreciate their uh, relationship with you guys because no, no one else was really coming in and doing anything. Right. And so, uh, but now they are mm-hmm. because they see what you're doing and what you've done out there. Um, so it's kind of contagious, right? Yeah. When you get uh, quality projects.
1: Well, I'm proud of that, for sure, for Dayton, because we truly were the first ones. When we got down there, there was nothing happening. I mean, every news story was a negative news story. It's this business leaving that business, and it was just truly distraught. But we also understood that there is always some rebirth, and there was enough uh, successful pieces of downtown Dayton. One, we had a mayor. Uh, Nan Whaley, who understood what it meant to try to redevitalize the downtown area and the, the steps it was going to require. And so when we met with him initially and sort of the package they had to put together, was a, there was the only way from a financial perspective because there was risk there on our end. But we thought, hey, with the fact that there's really been no new housing for 30 years doesn't mean people aren't living here, but they just haven't ever built it because they were afraid. And we yeah, said, listen, I'm willing to take risk, willing okay. to take risk. And there is risk in it. And, and we, we believe it's measured risk because you look at the components that are involved in the development deal. And one of them is what is the city's participation? What is their invested interest? Not just monetarily. Do they want it? And in this case, Dayton really wanted it and they were willing to invest monetarily in it. And so we knew from a process and procedure that it was going to be uh, somebody working hand in hand with us to get it done. And really, honestly, it's the most successful project we've ever been involved with. So our Water Street project surrounding the baseball stadium down there, Fifth Third Field, we did our first 215 apartments, which even our lender at the time was like, you sure you want to do that many? It seems like – and I said, well, you got to have enough density for it to make sense. We were essentially 100% leased at Certificate of Occupancy on 215 apartments. I've never heard of that in any development anywhere wow. in the state of Ohio before. That's awesome. We did build another 60, same thing. We did another – Uh, conversion of a 100-year-old warehouse building, which is one of our favorite projects we've ever done. 132 units, essentially within a matter of a month after we opened, it was full. And we're building another 120 right now that'll open this fall. And uh, we've a a few other big projects we're getting ready to start. We just did a Fairfield Inn hotel down there. Same thing, no new hotels in 30 years. And that was one. Same thing, everybody was like, "Ooh, this seems risky. It is the fastest, uh, our hotel operator, uh, who has about roughly 60 hotels in the U.S., and it's the fastest lease-up of a hotel they've ever had. So it's essentially running at 100% at all times. And no one would have guessed downtown Dayton. Wow. So we're proud well, to be part UD, of that.
0: you got UD down there. Yeah. There's uh, companies moving
1: in. I mean, Yes, especially Dayton... now CareSource is really exploding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and and what it's done is, and we we encourage this. I tell people there's some, certain people I tell they're like, "Why well, I would keep it a secret?" I said, "Nah, we want it. We want everybody to know. Go and redevelop Dayton. There's plenty of opportunity for people." And, and the reality is, the better that the rest of the city comes up, I own other properties there. Right, you know, yeah. I want it to keep rebounding. So let's see the whole city uh, come up out of the ground and, and a rebirth. And there is there's virtually a new announcement every week now. Of something positive. Um, New developments, new companies moving back downtown. And I look at it and compare it to Columbus. I say Columbus is, you know, in the sixth or seventh inning of what we can be. They're still in the bottom of the half of the first, you know, maybe early, you know, um, uh, top of the second inning down there as far as what's possible.
0: Now, not everybody, you know, is on the gravy train, right? I mean, when yeah. not everybody's on the, the the bandwagon. Whenever you go to do some of those developments, right? And it takes time. I, I remember when you were amassing the the ground in in uh, Dublin, for yeah. instance, you know. And uh, the, so here comes this project, and. You know, you guys were kind of on your own until – because you didn't have – you had to make some believers over the course of time. Uh, Of course, the city of Dublin now is a great partner. Yeah. uh, But at the time, they were kind of a wait-and-see thing, right?
1: I mean, they – A little bit. They they did have the same vision, I will say that, because their master plan called for something similar. But what their hesitation was, was like anybody, was uh, this is a plan on a piece of paper, but you actually have to pull it off. And what we were proposing was large in scale – uh, very large yeah unprecedented really right. in terms of the speed in which it's come out of the ground and and while I think other people when I had friends even now that come up to me today I was like I was a hundred percent sure that thing was going to fail I was a hundred percent certain of it. I mean, good friends of mine and I said I know I know you did but we believed in it. And there were there were reasons some of them are micro for us and that I live in Dublin Bob lives in Dublin Nelson lived in Dublin a lot of our principals were there our office was headquartered there we knew we knew the wealth that was there we knew the Corporate headquarters, we knew the lack of housing was enormous, the lack of restaurants, hotels. hotels. A nice hotel. Yeah, it was all it was all missing. And uh, just the, the pieces and parts aligned. And the reality is, while uh, one interesting thing about Bob and I, Bob is very conservative, and I've typically been very aggressive. And over the years, we've sort of both met in the middle. And obviously the downturn will do that to, to someone. Although, we, I don't believe we were being aggressive at all during the downturn. We got caught up like lots of people did. Uh, but but we we sort of met in the middle. But that you know that was a risk, and at some point in your life, it depends on what your goals are, what you want to achieve, and 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 maybe even how you're raised. Although I was raised very conservatively, so I can't say that because neither of my parents ever took any risk in their entire life, really, to do anything. So, uh, but it was just natural for me, and I, I thought this is a risk worth taking. And sometimes you got to you got to put the chips in the table in order to win big, and and that's kind of how we felt about it. But it was a measured risk. We right. had been – you know, as we were acquiring land, we were reaching out to people, for example, Cameron Mitchell, and saying, Cameron, we're going to do this project. I think this would be huge for you. He's always wanted to be in Dublin, but there were no spots to go in Dublin for him, at least as, as he saw it and where he wanted to be in the type of restaurant. And we got early commitments from from him on a couple of restaurants. And so these are things that were happening behind the scenes really before we were – Getting too deep in. And once we saw how much interest there was, and of course, we did a condo development that was one of the first projects. And we were essentially, you know, people were bringing, to, we did our first presentation, bringing deposit checks up at the meeting. So we knew we were on to something uh, right away. And like, I think it's like any business, but development specifically, you have to maintain momentum. Is critical. So I had a lot of developer friends said, "Why don't you just build four buildings and then wait and see?" It just doesn't work like that. Imagine if we would have just had the four buildings and, and it would have been grass. What energy would there have been? Not knowing what's coming next, in order to attract tenants, a lot of times you have to be building. They have to know it's coming, right? Big right. big office tenants. They're not going to wait for you to start construction. You have to start construction so they know. Uh, so it was it was a risk certainly, uh, but it's a measured measured risk and and. We love difficult things. Uh, we take pride in it. It's, it's a lot of fun for us, and so it's a very challenging project. A lot of things involved, right? There's a lot of coordination with the city, with the pedestrian bridge and the park. The financing aspects of that, there are bond, private bonds, public bonds. There's a new community authority. There's a TIF. It just goes on and on. And uh, What's great about that, though, is it makes to entry very high. Uh, to do business, not just in Dublin, but a lot of these types of projects, it's just very hard to pull off because the the historical knowledge you have to have and the brainpower in order to pull it off. And, and I'm not saying that's me. There's a lot of people in <laughs> our office, again, that are just insane at these uh, at, at these things. So uh, putting those pieces together is, is a lot of fun. Now, what's a lot your- of fun.
0: Was your first TIF the one that we did in Upper Arlington? Was it was. Your, was yeah. that your first? That was, was Upper Arlington's first as well. Yeah, and uh, at that uh, now that corridor is is booming as yeah, well. We're getting
1: ready to start another. Well, we are started. Yeah, so yep. uh, it's generally already started the next lane two, essentially the next phase, which was another bond uh, TIF that we did there as well. Right.
0: Yeah, that's a complicated. Uh, a thing, you know, and and of course the, those people don't dance with partners unless they know they can trust them exactly, as well. Yeah. They have a quality track record. Yeah. Um, you know, you're taking leaps of faith in the in the in the tens of millions dollar realm. Yeah. You know, you got to know who you're dealing
1: with. Well, and one of the things that we've also realized over the past twenty plus years is is the relationship piece, but it's the transparency piece, and it's where we've developed great relationships with these municipalities, and and Upper Arlington being one of them is is. Uh, developers for sure have a reputation of it's either my way or the highway, right? We're going to develop this and you're going to give me what I want no matter what, but they hide the information in terms of how much do I really need? Um, and I think cities and municipalities always feel like the developers getting over on them. They're getting too much money and it's the big fat developer. We take an Take the opposite uh, side of that. Not This isn't all developers for sure, so I'm not bad-mouthing all of my friends out there because um, <laughs> that's one great thing about this market here is developers. We're all friends, which is you know, uh, somewhat unusual. And then you have partnerships yep, with most of them as well. Absolutely, and, and we're partnering right. with some new ones coming up yep. here. Uh, but is that we, we share our information openly with municipalities. I mean here are our full uh, proformas. The, so they can see here's what we're making and we share with them and say in order for us to make this work, here's the gap that we need and they can see it all. So they see our assumptions. They'll know that their market and that way it gives them comfort that we're, we're just asking for what is required in order to do it. And I think it's hard, especially a lot of times citizens don't understand whether it be TIFs that are given or tax abatements. Uh, these things are absolutely 100 percent required. Uh, I know people get frustrated by them, but typically, what most people don't understand again is the tax abatement is only on the improved what you build. It's not on the existing. So, the school boards are losing no additional. They are losing no money. They're just not. They're right. only you, you, the abatement's only on what the new project being built. Well, without it, the new project's never built. And then guess what? The tax abatement never expires, so they never get the money. In this case, it expires, and they do get the money. And in today's world, the reality is it's just hundred percent required. The projects don't even come close to working without yeah. a tip or tax abatement. It just doesn't work.
0: No, and it's not about. Uh, it's also not about the uh, just the property tax. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got employment tax is really half the yeah. game for sure. Yep. Is uh, bringing people there to live, work, play, uh, you know, to eat. Yeah. entertain themselves, you know, whatever. Well, All know. that works together to to fund, you know, the, yep. the world we live
1: in. And it was great for us to do lane one and have it be successful and them to get those numbers so they can reference back and say, hey, here was the economic benefit for the city by them doing this development. They're going to do the same thing. It's worth it, us for support. And the same thing with Dublin, the amount of revenue they've brought in now, whether it be bed tax coming in from the hotel, which the, the hotel – uh, I think finished was there's 54 AC Marriott's in North America. That was the number one financial performer last year in North America, just doing incredibly well. Well, the city's benefiting from that. Again, all the payroll tax that is coming in from there, all the residents living there now that are spending money in the city – um, so it's just it's it it can be a great thing. It's certainly well beyond property taxes, you said. Yeah, and
0: and heck, now you got Urban Myers going to open up yep. a shop in there, which is great. It uh, is great. What's it called? Ur- is it Urban Myers Ale House? Or Urban
1: something? Myers Pine House. So Pine it's House. it's really he's in partnership with Chris Corso who's, of course, done a lot of successful restaurants here in Columbus. I know I read some of the comments online, which I should never do, but people are like, what does he know about running a restaurant? And, you know, is he going to be waiting table? You know, stuff just – some of it's funny, of course, but the reality is it's really Chris' is the brains behind running the restaurant and the, and the concept of the Pine House is already a successful con- concept. Urban – saw it as an opportunity one uh from a charity perspective. He loves his charity work and and raising funds and and attaching his name to that and being able to do all of his events there is is a great way to 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 do that and uh it's just something that's always interested in. him. And we talked at length about it whether he should do it and and really it was who who was the partner and and Chris has got a great reputation and you know if it was Chris or Cameron and maybe one or two others you you'd do it and otherwise that's not something you want to venture into on your on no. your own. Now the restaurant business is a uh is a very very difficult business, just it like is. developing. You got to yes, know what you're doing for sure. in these
0: businesses uh, in order to to get to the next level. So, you've got a wonderful career. I mean, you're you're not even 50 yet, right? So yep. we just talked to your birthday It was just a little bit ago. Um, yeah, you know, what are the plans? What what does Brent gonna do the next 10 years? Where what what do you what do you see yourself doing? You know, in retirement or sure. do, is that even on your radar screen? I mean.
1: Uh, It's not. I always say I'll retire when I die. Uh, And I think part of it for me is is if you're having fun doing what you're doing, um, I don't see a reason to retire. I absolutely love it. I love to go to work. And part of it, again, is going to do it with people I want to work with. Right so a lot of the people in our office are great friends and some people do it differently and we I'm fine with this there's risks in it meaning a lot of these people are my best friends that work in the office and they're the people I vacation with so I see them all day and then we go on vacations we hang out at night you know we do stuff with our kids and so I love that uh, I love that family aspect and I I just don't see retiring I, I see continuing to mentor and bring along some of the younger people we've got some incredibly talented uh, younger uh, team members that we just absolutely adore and think are got bright futures. so I see more of a bigger picture you know I'm getting involved in more boards and you know Columbus partnership for one I'm very passionate about and, and what the, that partnership can do for Columbus I think's fantastic so I want to do more of that I've I somebody gave me some advice a couple years ago and basically said you got to stop running a business and start owning a business. And so I have thought about it a little bit differently on a daily basis. So what am I really focused on and and thinking that that task I used to do not a good use of my time, right? And that's not a good use of my time and really focusing on things that are a good use of my time and part of it is even things like this is spreading our brand and who we are as a company and and taking that instead of digging into looking at Um, an individual item on a profit loss statement, which I still do. I still think it's important for me to be in touch with all of the entities. So I I still review all the financials every month, but there are still, there are tasks that I stepped away from. So I see staying very active. I see the company doing more of what we're doing, getting more opportunities. Uh, And again, we have some coming up that we're very excited about that I can't wait to get announced. I think are a bridge for us into the next phase of the company in terms of what our opportunities will, uh, will be. And at the same time, I do, my wife and I, Absolutely love to travel. It's our favorite thing. We just got back from from Italy... We're getting ready to go to Morocco. Nice, uh, yeah. We love to travel the world, so that's great. Uh, I definitely will continue to do that. That's for sure.
0: Well, you know, uh, Brent, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the program and and uh, and it. for your your contributions to the city. I mean, as uh, you're one of the city's largest developers now, you came from nothing, uh, built it up yourself, uh, first generation business. Uh, you've uh, really surrounded yourself with quality people, and that's yep. what that's how you build a culture is, of a company. Yep. And uh, and and you're just uh, proof in the pudding here of uh, what good hard work and success and the speed of trust for sure. uh, can affect not only communities but individual uh, companies yeah. so well. uh, I just want to thank you for driving the bus and being on the show.
1: Thank you and I appreciate your partnership as well it's been a, it's been a great run uh, with our two companies together so thank you that it has thanks.